Hey guys, and welcome to the Strong Tower Mental Health Podcast, where you will be inspired, encouraged, and transformed with powerful teachings and real stories of mental health. This podcast is not a substitute for counseling. If you are in a crisis, call or text your local crisis center or visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Jesus is in our mental health, and freedom is where we start. I am your host, Heidi Mortensen, licensed marriage and family therapist. Get ready. Today's show is going to bring you hope. Hello, and welcome to the Strong Tower Mental Health Podcast. I am your host, Heidi Mortensen, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I am so honored and excited to have with me Dr. Mark Sharona here with me today. Thank you so much for being on. He is a an ordained bishop, um, people lover, um, but also a lover of psychology and has many degrees, has a doctorate, has written many books. Um, and I think you're also a coach as well. Um, there's a lot of things that you board do. Certified. Yes, board certified coach. Yeah, but he just really loves people, but is absolutely brilliant. So um, he's one of those people that sometimes when I read and I listen to, I have to stop and I have to rewind or <laughs> go back and read what I read because it's so, there's just a lot of revelation what Mark has. Um, so I just want to encourage you that even as you listen, I feel like they'll just, they're just going to be shifts and checks in your spirit that it might feel like it's a little too much or too deep for you, but just note that, that the Lord is moving and working in you as you listen to this interview, uh, because this will be very, very rich. Yes. So Mark, I would love to hear if you could share a little bit about who you are and your testimony. Well, I, I am I am a dysfunctional Italian from New York. <laughs> so we we, we yeah. Italians from New York wrote the book on dysfunction. So when De Niro classically said, You talking to me? Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's us. You just have to look at Raging Bull. And that's who we are. And Jesus, yep. <laughs> Jesus had two sons of thunder that he managed to bring to a place. Well, at least with John. I mean, James died first, but John lived a long life and became the apostle of love. Mm -hmm. um, he's, he's working on me. I'm not there yet, but there's just yeah. a little too much of De Niro's Raging Bull still in me. But oh, that's... <laughs> God, I'm a little closer than I used to be to being a son of thunder. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you you went through a pretty tough period that you are now very open about. Uh -huh. And um, I would love if you could talk about that, but also just kind of, you know, what led to it as well. Sure. So, you know, I've been, I, at 19, I had a radical conversion uh, there in New York. I'm 68 now. I've spent 49 years uh, within weeks of being converted i was preaching i led my band wow. to the lord we wrote songs we traveled we made recordings so i've been preaching 49 years and i you know i um and and pioneered two churches and um raised a family i've traveled the world i've been i've been privileged to be on some of the largest platforms in the pentecostal charismatic world and as far as the dark season that I've been through many challenging seasons where it's been overwhelming, but the one that redefined my whole life for the most part came when I just about turned 50. And uh, there were a number of issues converging at once. It was a perfect storm. I was 
on a flight to the Bahamas to be with my dear friend, Miles Monroe, uh, annual conference. And, um, I'm at 35,000 feet and out of nowhere, I had a, an intense panic attack and there was nowhere to go. And I did not know how to handle it. I felt like jumping out of my skin. Mm. Um, and for the first time in my life, now I managed to get through um, the event. But when we went back to the hotel, it was the first night in my life I could not sleep. Mm. The anxiety oh my was so intense that I could not sleep. And that created a feedback loop and a cycle that turned into a three and a half journey with extreme sleeplessness. And when I say extreme sleeplessness, and the anxiety uh, within a matter of weeks became oppressive. And as you know, as a, as a therapist, anxiety usually has a companion called depression. And so once depression set in, um, between the automatic negative thoughts and the deeply painful negative emotions and the stressors that created that. And, um, it was, and, and you're talking about someone who by that time was known by millions of people around the world. I'm having to function. I'm having mm -hmm. to travel. I'm having to hold a world together of family and church and, global ministry and um, how I survived that season is nothing short of the grace of God. Right. And it was a perfect storm. There were issues going on with one of my sons, my younger son, that triggered so many events that were so painful. And then on top of that, we had just gotten into our new building and mm -hmm. uh, that new building, we went from a, we were, in, we were in Orlando. We went from a, a building that, was worth $1.7 million to a building that was $14 million. So our mortgage went from $7,000 to a first mortgage of 70,000 and a balloon of 50,000. Wow. And overnight I lost almost 2000 people and had only 400 adults and the air conditioning bill alone was $7,000. So for the first time in my life, I felt the crushing weight of a financial burden that I didn't see how we were going to get out of. Yeah. And that was anxious enough. And then by July, when I was on that plane ride, um, I was getting hit with all sorts of things because of what was going on at home with my youngest son. And that led to a whole series of events that by the time it was done and having to sort through it cost us millions of dollars to um, mm. sort that through just with, and where that money came from to this day, Lynn, I mean, I was on the road beating the bushes and mm. we had to separate the boys out. We had to put uh, the one that was causing all the problem in a special program. And there was only one in the city that could do it because he needed counseling as well. And he had made some statements that were vicious lies, but it created legalities and PCF. And I mm. mean, it, it was intense. And so pain of that and the forensic psychologist that, we met with who actually is still the best in the city was um, the one who trained all DCF. And she said to me and my wife, Mr. Sharona, we know your son is lying, but I can't spare you from all the pain you're going to go through in the process of all the interrogations and everything else. Oh and, my goodness. And, and legally this became a battle that lasted for seven years. 
until he finally told the truth. And so the pain of that was excruciating, the financial pressure of the building. And so I, it was so painful that I, I would tell God I prefer death to life. Yeah. It was, it was, it was dark. And you, you put on top of that all the ways in which the enemy takes advantage of that. And I was no stranger to spiritual warfare. I was no stranger to um, the nature of um, how our cognitive distortions um, play into that. I was no stranger to automatic negative thoughts at that point, um, obsessive thoughts. But, you know, when you're in that situation, even though you know that and I had a psychology degree, you can't I can't help myself. I needed other help. I needed and I had one of my, my best friend, uh, pastor, uh, literally lived and walked me through that along with a very competent therapist in the city that became a dear friend. Yeah, so you have from the beginning, like even in your book, and you would share that psychology was something that you were into. How how was that like how because I we see many people in Christian circles that are against it or even some that say it's from the devil and um, can you first talk about that like yeah. how you even like you know passionately believe in psychology and theology because I I feel like there's just such revelation in that for us. Okay, so one of my favorite statements that I've made post my dark season, because I now divide my life between pre and post my dark season, which was from 2007 to almost 2011. And again, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And um, neither would I want to go back through, I wouldn't want to go back through all the jokes, comforters that had all the answers for me that knew nothing. And, and all of those guys thought that psychology was worthless. But I knew better. I already had a degree in psychology as well as theology. So I you know, they, they just angered me. They just, they just provoked, you know, when Job said he was deeply vexed, mm. part of that was the nature of the people that thought they had all their answers and that I should have just been able to confess it and move right through it. And mm -hmm. That, that brand of Christianity is laced with magical thinking and distorted delusional thinking, claiming to be spiritual. It is actually Gnostic heresy in many ways. I'm just being honest. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. So we, we have lost our ability to understand what the ancient church condemned and why they condemned it. But if we go back to the early church fathers and an understanding of what Christ accomplished at the cross, they used the term as, as church history unfolded called the cure and the care of the soul or the psyche. And so within ancient orthodoxy, there already was a psychotherapy rooted in scripture. Wow. So when we hear about the seven deadly sins, we, we react and say, oh, the Catholics are just too legalistic. But when you go back and look at the theology behind the seven deadly sins, you actually are looking at the dynamics of how these seven tendencies in the human psyche bring us into all sorts of ways that distort our thinking, distort our emotions, um, all tied to the fact that our brokenness, which we inherited from Adam, is something that while Christ delivered us from it objectively at the cross, sanctification is an ongoing healing journey and transforming journey. So I, the way I put it is that 
brokenness and beauty coexist in all of us and will until we receive our glorified bodies. And so until then, yes, I am the righteousness of Christ. But you know what, Heidi? Mm -hmm. Every night when I go, now I pray a lot, but every night when I go to bed and I lay my head on that pillow, I know there's a lot I've done that day that fell short of the glory of God. And I pray the prayer of Bartimaeus, which is one of the ancient prayers in the church and the tradition. Lord Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So I'm both a sinner and a saint at the same time. And I'm not ashamed to say that. And it doesn't make me, it doesn't make me vulnerable to the devil. It makes me honest with God. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. John the beloved. Yeah. So my brokenness and my beauty are commingled and learning how to allow the love of God. So one of the ways in which I look at the sanctifying work of the spirit as a result of all that is that we have primal fears mm. and existential anxieties. By the way, we fundamentally misinterpret that uh, Christians don't face the fear of death. We fundamentally misinterpret that verse in Hebrews. I can get to that in a minute, but because um, the Greek says something totally different. Um, but we end up thinking that because it's in English that, and the way we, the text is inspired, but not all our readings are inspired. Our interpretations of the text aren't inspired. But sanctification for me has become the outworking of the love and grace of God that progressively drives away all the deep-seated primal reactions to the fear of death and all the other primal fears mm -hmm. that lead to the anxieties about my existence mm -hmm. and heals me from them so that I can freely and lovingly walk with God without mm -hmm. hindrance. Yeah. So you're, yeah, you, when you talked about the sanctification process I've, in it, you talked about that, that it keeps us so that we need a savior. Absolutely. And that, that, salvation is for the salvation. Salvation is Jesus and salvation yeah. is a totality that requires a journey. Jesus is the journey. I am the way I'm the journey. I'm the path. Mm -hmm. I'm the truth. And, and I need him all the time. He continually saves me. Yeah. And that's, and so I, I'd love it if you could speak to then, uh, there's not really like a why, but um, you talk about the, like how and why this actually happened for you, that this, this dark season happened. And I, I, you know, you talked about pride, you talked about not facing your fears and not facing the, like allowing the feelings and, and really going to the Lord and being honest with God. I'm fearful of this. I'm angry about this and just being real with God. Um, could so can you talk about that yeah. process? So, so as you know, in, in the world of psychology, there are terms such as suppression mm. and repression. Paul speaks in Romans one of those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's at one aspect of suppression. But another aspect of suppression is I'm battling a fear and I immediately say, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. It's a demon. Well, fear is a very basic human emotion. But if my if my default position is I've been told fear is a demon and when it comes up, I rebuke it. What I'm actually doing psychologically is dissociating from myself, which is a very dangerous place to be. States of dissociation lead to further states of deception. Mm -hmm. and, and it could lead to delusion. 
And if you go far enough, psychotic episodes. And um, the other part of it is that you're actually blocking yourself from the revelation of what the Lord actually has for yeah. you. And that's what you talk about in Romans 12, 1, that we often skip Romans 12, 1, and we go to Romans 12, 2, which yeah. is, I'm to be conformed by the renewing of my mind, but we skip one. All right. Present your bodies. Okay, so, so, so to make it simple, right? Our way of being as humans is in three domains. So the word ontology is a big word. It just means our way of being. Acts 17.10, in him we live and move and have our being. Our way of being as humans, as image bearers, is that we live in language, but that language is both a narrative, the story we tell ourselves about ourselves, plus our self-talk about what, what's going on every day of our life. So we live in language, we live in, we live in self-talk and in conversations. We live, therefore, as well in emotions, feelings, and moods, and all of that is embodied. And so, when, and I know you've read The Body Keeps the Score, which is one of the most I mean, it's it's an essential book to read if anybody wants to really deal with their feelings because the body, every stress shows up on our body. So the, yes. I, I make it real. An emotion happens in the mind. Mm. A feeling is a feeling because you feel it. That's the deep <laughs> revelation. It, you feel it in That's your body. That's good. You feel it in your body. And when we ignore those feelings, we're suppressing what they're trying to tell us because that feeling, when you refuse to feel it, is if you ref if you suppress that you're blocking the belief behind it that God wants you to face and own so you can surrender it and then mm. sacrifice that fear at the cross and let Jesus heal it. Yeah. So because essentially, that yeah. A false self. Yeah. So essentially, most Christians are operating in this false self, and they're blocking the Holy Spirit doing what the Holy Spirit can do because we don't want to like give our body as living sacrifices. We want to be in charge and in control, but it becomes, yeah. yeah. And our whole culture is highly individualistic. What's in it for me? The word, this is me and this is the world and the world revolves around me. No, this is Jesus. Yeah. And this is the world and the world revolves around Jesus. So but we, we're, you know, and, and I'm part of the generation where that became the major mantra. You know, Tom Wolf wrote about us in the 70s, the me generation. Mm. What's it for me? Mm -hmm. And um, I, 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 but it's a false I. It's what one of the ancient fathers, Origen, called the shadow self. Mm. And that's the self that needs to go to the cross so that the true to God person, you know, we can get, here's, here's where, Heidi, when, when I listen to preachers that don't study psychology and demonize it, I, I find most of them are actually insecure and need a therapist themselves. I'm just yeah, I mean, I mean, and that's some of what I, I sense even as a therapist is that when I learned about, so I was blind to the Holy Spirit's moving in the church. So I was blind to that. So when I started to learn about, oh, there's, you know, the Holy Spirit actually can speak to us and talk to it. You know, when I started to learn that, then I'm kind of bridge the two of them. And then I then realized, oh my goodness, we have so many leaders in the church who have 
stuff that they need to deal with that they're not dealing with. Very yeah, they nice, suppress. kind people. Yeah, they they're suppress. suppressing. And some of them actually repress because they learn that from their parents or their grandparents. So now we're talking about right. what we inherited unconsciously. Right. Yeah. Generations past. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So I, I, there's a couple of things I wanted to bring up from your book. Um, yeah. You use the word, I just love this. Um, you use the word grunt work. So I'm like, this is grunt work <laughs> deliverance. Uh, so we often this, and this is like, you talked about things being, you know, like um, this magical thinking that, you know, you can go and get healed at a healing service, which God does, God does move. So he is sovereign. So I, you didn't say that you don't believe that, but right. But it's not, it, the sanctification is a process. That's kind of what right. you were like bringing out. It's a process. It's not just a one-time thing and you're good. You don't have to ever have to do this work. So can you talk about, you know, you knew everything about deliverance and you believe in casting out demons. Right. Talk about this grunt work deliverance. Well, the grunt work <laughs> is Lord cast the man out of that devil. <laughs> wow. You know, we wow. are the, we are the sum total. <laughs> Right now, Heidi, you and I are the sum total of everything we have ever thought, mm. said, felt, and done. We're just not conscious of it all the time. So there's the conscious part of who we are, but then there's that unconscious realm that the Bible calls the heart. That, like, if you've ever been around somebody that says something and say, Oh, that wasn't in my heart, I didn't mean that. I want to say, Well, Jesus said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, you are just not consciously aware of what was swimming in that deep soup. Yep. So, all of us got that deep soup, and that's where the brokenness and the beauty are commingled. And so, unless we're willing to allow the Lord, as Jeremiah says, to search the heart, mm. stir it up, and then test the mind. So, Within that season, apart from the warfare, God was putting his finger on stuff that was down there in the soup mm. that I just kept shoving down. Um, and, and most of those, look, I have been involved in, I know deliverance, I know inner healing. I mean, I remember the days of John and Paula Sanford. I love them dearly. Um, sadly, John, his uh, Lauren died during COVID, and it was just so sad. Lauren was a great prophetic figure, um, you know, and his mom and dad had great genes. They lived into their 90s. And mm. but John and Lauren, John, John, John and Paula had a marvelous approach to inner healing. And it was a little more, um, <clears throat> it wasn't a, a makeshift thing. It, there really was a system to it. So even though they weren't trained therapists, there was something admirable about the way in which they approached it. And so grunt work to me is being willing to do the inner work to face those unseemly parts of ourselves that we keep saying, no, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. No, I, no, no, no. That's dealt with. That's the old man. No, that's you. That's the sum total of stuff you have accumulated, the, the excess baggage. You know, and so and 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 now I had to deal with at a at a more profound level than ever the voice of my inner critic in a way I never did before. And then God began to show me, well, where did you borrow that voice from? Mm. You know, I mean, some of those voices were my father. It wasn't my voice, but I, as a kid growing up, I assumed. Big people have power. We don't have any. They're right. We're wrong. Exactly. Yeah. So if my dad 
was displeased with a grade that I had, I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't mm. good enough. I wasn't valid enough. And so there are all sorts of things that that trigger dread and fear and if they really find out who I am. And now we're now we're into the realm of how we bury stuff alive. But if we bury it alive, as the eminent Swiss psychologist Carl Jung said, if we bury it alive, it stays alive. Mm. And so until I'm willing to face it, it won't be erased. Yeah, and how you figured out about that, you Mm -hmm. had a significant dream that you talk about in your book early on that, you know, most people would have that dream and be super freaked out. But you know a lot about dream interpretation and you were able to really, I mean, it didn't happen overnight, but you were able to really keep doing that grunt work yeah to where you went deep into your past and gave the lord the fears gave yeah, the lord and I, yeah and and i didn't do it alone you, you never want to do that work alone the mm-hmm. the unconscious contains all sorts of stuff that if you go messing around there uh, the deep heart the heart you know solomon says the heart knows its own bitterness Mm-hmm. Um, there are all sorts of emotional triggers that show up in our life that are an indication of deeper issues. So when somebody, you know, years ago, I, the joke was, oh, God, I lost my temper. And God said, no, you just found it. <laughs> That's good. That's really good. Wow. So those trigger reactions yeah. are an indication of something. Ooh. So if something triggers, good. if something triggers us, yeah. Pay attention to those strong feelings that rise up. Where do they come from? And many of them come Good. from the first seven years of our life and what we inherited simply by absorbing what was said to us. But and no, no family is perfect. So mm-hmm. we're this when I had to read Melody Beattie, codependent no more in the 80s. We had we had an elders meeting and we all went around. I was the last one to speak, and, and they were all talking about dysfunction. And, and I read the book. I said, guys, this isn't dysfunctional, this is normal. And so, so I, ha- I had to learn the word dysfunction. I said, no, this is normal. I grew up. Right. <laughs> so I didn't know I was dysfunctional. So thank you, Melody. I read the book and found that I was dysfunctional. I didn't like it. I wanted right. to throw the book out. Mm-hmm. You know? But it was a game changer for me, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So you went, yeah. Um, you said that the closer we get to the truth, the more that we resist it. We resist it. Yeah. And so you're just naming like, so we need to get curious if a trigger shows up, if we kind of get hooked and our stomach hurts and, you know, we're, we're maybe struggling to breathe or anger just immediately comes out. We need to pay attention to that. Uh, we need to not ignore that. And we need to bring it to the Lord and ask God. Yeah. So I, I would love it if you could kind of just share like, you know, you know, how the Lord kind of got you out of that and where you're at now um, and anything else you want to kind of share. And then well, I have in, to- in, a, in a Cliff Notes version, I had to, every time something came up, I had to open up to it, realize I had to accept it. Mm-hmm. My, my, my struggle was I, I had in my mind, if I accept this, I'm resigning myself to it. And I fought that tooth and nail. So I gave God a hard time. I gave the therapist a hard time. I gave my best friend a hard time because I said, bless God, that's not me. 
-hmm. And they said, no, it, it, but is you have it though. So can you please own it and accept it? And I, when I learned that acceptance wasn't resignation, mm -hmm. I realized it wasn't going to turn me into a victim. Wow. And I would have okay. to, I'd have to journal. Yeah. I have to write out all those painful thoughts so that I could look at them on a piece of paper and realize these are thoughts that are running in me, but I'm not those thoughts. There's something, the me that's deeper inside that's 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 having those thoughts or having those feelings. If I am having those thoughts, I can learn how to challenge those thoughts. Mm -hmm. And then speak back to those thoughts. You know, A.W. Tozer talked about, I talk back to the devil. And some of it indeed is the enemy, but some of it is all those negative voices we've inherited from our dysfunctional human condition that we borrowed this from our father, from our mother, from our uncle, from a teacher, but we made it our voice. Yeah. And we don't, yeah. and we don't realize that unconsciously. We don't, and we grow up and just accept this is a part of me. No, this is, this is not who the true you is. This is that shadowy self. Right. That is the false self that Jesus came to die for. Yeah. So you're true to God's self in Christ can emerge and really be on the journey toward wholeness. But in order to do that, it hurts to admit and accept this stuff is in me. So before I can go any further, I got to accept I embraced this at one point in my journey and I made it mine. Now I've got to lay it at the foot of the cross so that Jesus can set me free. I am only as free. We like to talk about freedom a lot today in the Christian culture in America. Anyway, I am only as free as I am influenced by Christ. Wow. So to the degree in my inner space that I am not yielded to Christ, I am not free at all. I'm enslaved to something. Wow. That's good. That's why miracle, you know, you could have a miracle and then the next moment, if you're not yielded and influenced by Christ, it can just shift just like that. Yeah. yeah. Everything awesome. requires surrender. Oh, thank you so much for this. You know, I would love it if you could pray for our listeners. Sure. Whatever you feel Holy Spirit leading you to. Sure. Father, we are ever so mindful of the fact that as much as we want to be perfect, we aren't. But Lord Jesus, you said, be ye perfect as your Father is perfect. And Lord, help my brothers and sisters realize that word perfect in the Greek isn't about being flawless. It's the word in the Greek for whole. And Father, you are infinitely whole, but you have brought us in Jesus on a journey towards wholeness. And Father, remind us that what Jesus was calling us to was a journey to wholeness, well-being, and flourishing. Heal us of all those areas where we're languishing. You promised us life and that more abundantly. We can't have that without the cross and the Holy Spirit. You brought us life at the cross, and that abundant life is the indwelling of your Spirit. Lord, cause us to trust what works through us by way of the Spirit who brings us to the cross to bring all those shadowy areas to death so that we can rise out of dead things and flourish in the abundance of the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. 
Thank you, Father, for these, your sons and daughters, my brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord, that your love will never be taken from them and that your love is what will heal them in Jesus. Blessed Holy Spirit, breathe afresh that reality into all of our minds and consciousness and change us one easy step at a time. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? Um, Mark Chirona, C-H-I-R-O-N-N-A.com. You can have access to my books, my teachings, my webinars. I do coaching. I do prophetic mentoring. There's all sorts of things there. They can just go to the website. (laughs) The new book, The Edge of Hope, they can just go on to Amazon. They can download it on Kindle, On the Edge of Hope. They can get that on Kindle because that'll tell enough of my story for those that are struggling or if they know some that are struggling that can help put them on a pathway towards well-being. I feel like this is also very encouraging for someone who's um, dealing with somebody who's not like basically like your wife or, you know, someone who is in your life like, okay, like sometimes what we'll do is we'll just give up and we'll just say, oh, well, they don't want the help or they're, you know, they're just not looking at their stuff. And we do that a lot. And to me, I feel like this gives a lot of hope for everyone that there, there is never no hope. Um, so I believe that that, yeah, like, so I'm so thankful that you're speaking out about this and, um, being real. You know, you're more than welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. This has been an honor having you. Thank you, Mark. It's been an honor to be with you, Heidi. Blessings. Thanks for listening to the Strong Tower Mental Health Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread mental health awareness with Jesus at the Center. You can also check me out on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or my website at HeidiMortensenLMFT.com. See you at our next episode.